Good morning. Jeremy did announce in the first service that Christmas is next Sunday. So I figured we'd just make it fair if, if the, the parents in the first service were trying to keep it from their kids, it's ruined. And so if you're trying to hide that from your kids, it's ruined. Um, they should know. I'm sure they have a countdown somewhere. Um, we're continuing to go through uh, the book of Acts. We're in chapter 4 this morning. What happens in chapter 4 is, actually chapters 4, 5, and 6 begins persecution of those proclaiming the resurrected Jesus. And so here we have Peter and John actually spending a night in prison, uh, their first night in prison. Um, but it, uh, this is happening because of their they're proclaiming the resurrected Jesus. And they have a great example with them of the power of God because the man that was healed in chapter 3 is with them in chapter 4. And he's right there in the crowd. And they're proclaiming, uh, this man is here because Jesus rose from the dead. That's the center and the force of this chapter. What happens when we hear something like someone has risen from the dead and we grasp the severity of that, uh, what happens is that has to confront our life. We can't keep that at bay and think, really, it's not going to make a big deal. Because what we see in this chapter is even the religious leaders know it's a big deal. And they know it's happened. They can't deny it. The person and message of Jesus always creates a reaction. And it's rarely neutrality. And here, with the, when, Jesus, when Peter is confronting them with the claims of Jesus and the reality of Jesus, um, uh, mostly the religious leaders are the ones who are confronted because they understand if Jesus really rose from the dead, which they saw and they do not deny it, they know it changes everything. So let me read this chapter. Uh, Acts chapter 4, I'll read verses 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the princes and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders which has become, have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council... They conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evidence to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of that which we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God and what had, and praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. In this passage, what we have is uh, there's a group of people who have heard and believed. We have the effectual work of uh, God's Spirit and the Word of God. We have this work uh, happening through common, uneducated men in the presence of educated rabbis and teachers. And at the end of this, there are further threats and a command to not ever speak of this again. That Peter and John can go free as long as they do not bring up this Jesus of Nazareth who has risen from the dead. In verses 1 through 4, Peter and John were arrested because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The religious leaders here, we have the priests, we have the, te- the captain of the temple, which is a commander of the temple, like a, maybe like a police guard, which was to keep the temple orderly and functioning as it's supposed to, keep the system running. And the Sadducees, who were a religious group who followed the Pentateuch, the first uh, five books of the Bible, and they did not believe in a resurrection. And so these religious leaders were uh, opposed, and we can understand why, opposed to the resurrection of Jesus. And one reason, and maybe you've had this in your own life, they were opposed to the resurrection of Jesus because they knew it changed everything. And they enjoyed their life the way it was. And they knew that to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, everything they had invested in has to change. So the annoyance came because Peter and John would not give up this teaching of Jesus' resurrection, and that a similar resurrection would be the reality for all those who believed. What they're saying is, Peter's saying, there's hope. And the hope is not this small hope that Jesus rose again. The hope is being that Jesus rose again, everything changes, there is life after life after death. And to be confronted with that when you and I, uh, maybe similar to the religious leaders, like the system of our life where we can manage and control things, we feel like we have things covered, 
and for someone to come in and say, okay, everything has to be rewritten now because there's life. And there's life more than how you and I define life. But what was also offensive was not only the teaching, so there's the content of the teaching that was offensive, but what was offensive was the teachers were offensive. These were uneducated common men standing before the religious leaders. And to be a rabbi, you had to have a significant education. And as a rabbi, you wanted people's honor, sort of like we do, but I'm sure it was completely different. So when someone says, this uneducated person is doing mighty works, and you and I feel like that's something we should do, and we don't, this is what's happening to the religious leaders. Peter and John were uneducated, and the power of their teaching was not in credentials or education, but it was in the work of the Spirit and the work of the Word of God. And this crowd grew. This crowd became a mass of people, 5,000 men. It could easily have been 10,000 people. And what was offensive was that the message of the resurrection of Jesus is a message of authority. It's Jesus showing that he is Lord. He is ruler of all things. Even over the Sadducees and the priests and the chief of the temple. That Jesus rules all things. The religious hierarchy was being replaced with common, uneducated men at the helm. The content of this teaching was gathering enormous crowds. Uh, it says many of those who heard the word believed. People were understanding that if Jesus rose from the dead, and again, remember, uh, Jesus rose from the dead probably two months before this is happening. It wasn't something like us where it's 2,000 years ago and we're looking at historical documents trying to figure out what happened. Uh, two months ago, this happened. So for us, this is roughly right before Halloween in our like, time right now. Uh, we remember what happened. Everyone remembered what happened. And this word, this was a message of the resurrection. And this resurrection impacted more than just Jesus. This was a resurrection that impacted the whole world. Everything changes. The resurrection was a message of hope. And this hope interfered with how the Sadducees and religious leaders like to operate. If you give someone hope that you can't control, well, in some way, you can't control them. And so if, some, if you and I have hope that is beyond how we're uh, treated at work, the relationships we have, if our hope is beyond those things, then we can look at those things with a new lens. Imagine those during the Holocaust, a horrible time in history. Those who had hope in some way became more trouble than those who just submitted to, well, this is my life and I'm just waiting to die. This is what the resurrection did. And this is what the resurrection does. What it does is it gives us hope. N.T. Wright says, the basis of this announcement is the resurrection of Jesus. Not his parables, not his healings, not even his atoning death. 
important all of those things are and remain, it is the resurrection of Jesus that means he is enthroned as Lord. That there is a new authority. That all things are to be submission unto. If there's really a resurrection, a restoration and a continuation of life after death, then it changes everything. It changed them in the first century, and it changes us. It changes how we see the world. But what happened is the reaction to the resurrection, to these claims of the resurrection, there are two camps in this passage. Those who say, let's arrest him, and those who say, I believe. And these two camps are common throughout history. These people were not unaware of what happened to Jesus. Again, this was two months previous. This was fresh in their mind. And it was a a significant enough thing that everyone was talking about it. So the question you see in this passage is not the religious leader saying, did this resurrection really happen? The question is, what does this event mean? Those people that were present, even those that were opposed to it, knew it happened. It's a reality. Jesus rose from the dead. What do they do with it? Nowhere in this passage is there, is, are there people saying, it didn't really happen. But 2,000 years later, we like to look back at history and think we know much better. And we understand things much more clearly than those people in the first century. What they say is, this really happened. They can't deny what has happened. But what do they do with it? And it's the same question we need to ask ourselves. What are we to do with the resurrection of Jesus? What does it change? How does it affect our life? If the resurrection didn't matter, the religious leaders in this passage would have said, who really cares? Peter, we know that guy, John, they're just talking by the temple and people are gathering. doesn't really matter. Let's get back and focus on the work of the temple. But they realized that it really happened and it changes everything and they want to shut it down. If it really didn't matter, there would have been no crowd gathered, no real threat to the religious leader's way of life. There would have been no change. But again, even those who were opposed to it knew this changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus has had such substance that people's lives are being changed by people who were common. How embarrassing and offensive is that to those with the high religious education who had the thought that only God works through me. And to see these common men gather a crowd of 5,000 people and what do they have next to them? A man that was just healed? Okay, forget it. You can't beat that. So as we look back in history, if you have questions about the resurrection, look what we have. People that were present there said it happened. You can't deny it. This is a reality. The question is, what do we do and how do we shut it down? And if there is no resurrection, if Christ did not raise from the dead, if you have a dead Christ, then you and I must do everything. 
Nothing has changed. There's no hope beyond what you and I can conjure up and the faith that we can work within ourselves to believe there's something more, to believe there's some kind of justice or mercy or compassion or love that's beyond what we experience in a moment. But if there is a risen Christ, then Christ has done everything. And everything has changed. There's a real person who meets you. There's a real person in Jesus who is the one we are to have hope in. It's not just a hope that I wish my life would turn out a little better. But it's a reality that Jesus says it will. Eventually, it will. That you will know peace beyond what you and I can imagine. And this is the message that was proclaimed through common men and common means. This word, the word of God worked through these men. And the question to Peter and John was, by what power or by what name did you do this? Tell us now, how did you do this? How did you heal this man? And their answer is, oh, you mean this man right here? Jesus of Nazareth, who raised from the dead, who you killed. That's who did this. But Peter's response is not to focus on the good deed of healing. It's to use that as an example of God's power and say the real power is Jesus rose from the dead. The real hope is Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the center of Peter's explanation of, just, of what just happened. And good deeds like this, which is called a good deed in here, it matters because Jesus rose from the dead. And it matters. Your kindness as a good deed matters because Jesus rose from the dead. That there is life after life after death. And any work of wholeness or restoration points in some way to the most significant life-changing event, the resurrection of Jesus. And as Christians, this is what we have. We strive for other things, but this is what we have. And for 2,000 years, we have a real, the real historical event um, written by people who were there. And we can see this is where my hope lies in the resurrection of Jesus. But somehow we can treat that as this external thing and we can talk about the resurrection of Jesus over here as a wonderful thing, an historic event, life-changing event. But the key is to ask the question for your own life, what will you do with the resurrection of Jesus? How does this change your life as a common person? And this is what Peter is presenting before his accusers. He's presenting this as an uneducated common man, and it shows the power of Jesus. And what it shows that he's a common man, it shows that you matter. And I hope I don't insult you, but you're a common person. I'm a common person too, and here we are. So what does this mean, that God used a common, uneducated person? That God uses you. And God uses me. And he makes us wonderfully, beautifully, unique, common. Where God places you matters. Where you live matters. Where you work matters. 
You do not need to attend, uh, attain an education to be valuable. You do not need to attend some kind of family status of being married or have kids to be valuable. You are valuable because you are made in the image of God and you understand the resurrection of Jesus. You do not need to attain anything to be a part of this community. We want people to be a part of this community who really struggle with believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Because we want you to be around us. And we want to be around you. And as a common person, all of the common events in your life matter. They're all valuable and significant. The resurrection did not bring meaning to the religious leaders because the religious leaders wanted to deny those people and say, we're just not going to deal with it. We're just going to shut them down because we do not want that to impact our world. Those who believed in the crowd realized the truth of this, that Jesus rose from the dead and the promises that those who have faith in Jesus will rise from the dead again that changes the way we live our life. That changes what we place value in. That changes how we pursue uh, people to extend mercy to. That changes how we uh, pursue any kind of horrible revenge on people. Because God is the one who's just. Your common life is where the mission of God takes place. Right there. In your neighborhood. The people you interact with, God has put you exactly where he wants you. And whatever stage of life you're in, hoping for another stage, God has put you exactly in this stage of life. Because he is God. He has the authority over all things. And our hope is not that our stage of life would change. Our hope is not that our career would change. Our hope is not that our bank account would change. Our hope is that the end of this life is not the end that there's a glorious future for the people of God. Peter's lack of these life markers of significance really was evidence. But what really marked, it was evidence of his being common. What really marked Peter's life was that he was known as someone, it says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what marked Peter and John's life. They had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus gave Peter the confidence to proclaim the risen Christ in a hostile place. Being with Jesus allows you and I to know how much Jesus is with us. He's the great pursuer of his people. Brennan Manning says, uh, For me, the most radical demand of, the, of Christian faith lies in summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. That throughout our day, we can acknowledge Christ has risen, so what do I do? Christ has risen, you will raise again as a child of God, what will you do? But as this passage ends, the the command are from the religious leaders saying, uh, just stop it. Stop it. And they threaten them, don't do this ever again. If you know the book of Acts, if you know the story of the New Testament, It doesn't do anything to Peter and John. They continue to proclaim. 
to, be, to believe the claims of the apostles and also those who did not believe, but said, for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. You cannot deny that what Jesus has done is a reality. Even the Jewish leaders who opposed Peter and John could not reject that Jesus has changed the world. So they sought to quiet his followers. And our life as of the followers of Jesus uh, believing in his resurrection is not easy. Faith is not an easy undertaking. These Jewish leaders saw a man standing with them who until pre the previous day was lame and begged for money at the temple gate. This was his life. He's 40-some years old. They knew this man, and now he stands with them as a display of the power of God. They could not deny, but they also did not believe. Great evidence does not equal great faith. Charles Colson, who was imprisoned for the Watergate scandal during Richard Nixon's presidency, uh, he writes, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. So you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Faith is the work of God through his Holy Spirit, through the word of God, and the life of a common person. And this is what God uses to transform this world. God's Spirit, God's Word, you and me. It is easier to reject Jesus and his claims. To reject Jesus is to seek no value beyond this life. It's to say it's okay to judge the uneducated man as unimportant. They will not impact this world. To say the common person doesn't matter. To strive for all this physical world as has to offer because really that's all you get when you deny the resurrection. To reject the resurrection is to deny that something good awaits and that death is not the end. The resurrection does not fit comfortably into our world unless we are willing to let the resurrected Jesus transform us and reorder our life. And this is why faith is a work of God. If it was purely evidence that would convince people to believe in the resurrected Jesus, all we would need is the right evidence. If it was just the right display of power, then we would gladly pursue that power. If it was a program or system, we would devote ourselves to the minute details of that to convince people that Jesus rose from the dead. And so in 2,000 years of history, since Jesus rose from the dead, we have none of those. None of those. We have no great evidence that would convince everybody 
We have no great system or program that will convince everybody. We see it is the power of God that gives us faith, convinces us of God's mercy and grace, draws us to assurance. And that's a wonderful thing. Because that what it means is that at some level, we all struggle with faith. Because there's something we want. If we just had that thing, it would be okay. If we just had maybe a man that was healed right next to us, I'd believe in Jesus. It happened here. The religious leaders said, nope, we're going to shut it down. Faith is a gift of God. And that's where we, as a people of God, pray and we trust that God continues to work in this world. Because what would happen if it was uh, the object, or if it was power, if it was faith, if it was a program, or if it was a system, our faith would be in those things and not in Jesus. Our faith would be in this bit of evidence. And when people see this evidence, they'll believe. It would sideline our belief in Jesus. We'd be more focused on that than we are on who Jesus is and what he has done. So what we are to pursue, what we are to be known as, as people, are people who have been with Jesus. You have uneducated men in the first century proclaiming this great work of God. They're uneducated, they're common, they're only known as men who are with Jesus. And this is the same way that we are to be known as God's people. Not maybe great uh, academic awards or education or career aspirations that have put us in a place of respect. Our hope really is in that we're with Jesus. Because first of all, he's with us. And he seals us as his own. He moves toward us. He gives us comfort and peace. And so we are to live lives that we are known as people who are with Jesus. And this is the greatest impact that the 12 apostles had, that they were known as people who were with Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is a time where we're with Jesus, corporately as a body of people. Uh, it's a time that we stop. It's a time that we uh, reflect and repent of our sin, that we um, think about what does our faith look like in Jesus, and then we are nourished by this meal. And it's common. But it's wonderfully effective because God is the one who does the work. So won't you bow with me as we prepare our hearts to come and receive of this meal this morning. Lord, you are faithful. You provide what we need. And we thank you that our deepest need is you. Our deepest need is Jesus. Our deepest need is to hear the truth of your word, the comfort of your spirit. And we ask as we come to this table that you would provide those for us. That we would be reminded that uh, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And you would make us people of the resurrection. That we hold on to your promise because you hold on to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.